So uh, we got an email from Morris last week, which I thought I'd just mention quickly because he said that he loves the show. And he mentioned on the Apple Watch that he just updated to the new watchOS, i.e., you know, the watchOS 10, the big major update. And he was so confused at the state of the weather app. Uh, and I was, he was like, oh, you can't see the, the, the upcoming days anymore. You know, it's not really showing me information. It seems like a massive step downwards. What do you think? And I replied back being like, I don't really understand what you're saying because you just like scroll through the pages and it has the same information. Yeah, the layout is different. And I think, you know, some of it's better, some of it's worse. You get the nice animated backgrounds, but almost all of the same data. And in fact, you get more data than before. It's just presented slightly differently. But he replied with a screenshot. And apparently there's this bug that he was seeing and some other people are seeing where the weather app doesn't have any pages. So like you know like on oh. on watchOS apps where in this on like next to the crown it has the little dots which show you that you can mm-hmm. page through things. Well, in the screenshot there's no dots and he can't scroll. So he literally only gets the top huh. screen of the weather app, which is basically just like the current weather and no other information. So if that's your if that's your experience with the watchOS weather app, I can understand you being frustrated by it because it doesn't <laughs> show any information anymore. Um, I said update and try some stuff and I think eventually rebooted and updated and it did eventually start working again. So that was at least one thing resolved. But yeah, clearly there's some people out there who have a uh, an incorrect impression of the WatchOS weather app because of a system bug. You know that thing that was going around for a while where the complication uh, would just show up as yeah. blank? That's mm-hmm. happening to me again. Didn't they fix that like with two different updates? Yep. And now they broke it again? It seems like it. At least on the latest beta did seem busted so i need i reset the watch i not reset but you know like rebooted the watch i closed the weather app the the old trick was to like go in privacy settings and toggle location services for weather Mm. i I was doing that didn't make any difference Uh, today it is actually showing up but literally for the last like week until today i was seeing the placeholder lines for the complication so hopefully that bug hasn't come back because i use the weather app complication on my watch face uh and then secondly, in the same email, Morris asked about the Eve cam, which we spoke about on this show probably about a year ago now. Uh, it's the Eve outdoor camera that it combines a HomeKit um, secure video camera for the outside, and it has a floodlight on it, so you can use it for like the front door. As you walk up, the light turns on, it illuminates, and you can record video, you know, animals, people, packages, all the, all the um, face detection, all the usual HomeKit features. And he basically asked, well, you've had it for a while now, are you happy with it? Uh, as I said originally i'd had it for months now but for a year i wouldn't change almost anything about the original review i was very happy with it it still works very well it's very reliable a lot of other home kit cameras i think after a few months they like overheat or whatever and you have to always go and turn them off and on again haven't had that with the eve camera uh, and i have both an eve outdoor cam and an eve indoor cam and they both work incredibly well for me so i've been very happy with them and then his question was specifically about the resolution because the Eve outdoor cam is 1080p, as are all HomeKit secure video cameras. He was basically mm-hmm. asking, why doesn't Apple upgrade this to 4K? Uh, because, you know, and, and 1080p is quite an old standard now. Uh, and it's true that the HomeKit secure video f- system only supports a maximum of 1080p output. So any camera that you get through HomeKit officially only goes up to 1080p and i believe the reason for this is because homekit secure video is end-to-end encrypted they're actually encrypting every Hmm. single video frame and it's way more computationally intensive to do that on a 4k frame than it is a 1080p frame because there's literally you know twice the resolution four times the number of pixels and so the computation that happens in the chain in terms of encoding and decoding for end-to-end encryption uh, probably just doesn't support the higher um, resolution, like the higher data throughput. So they just capped it at 1080p. Uh, obviously, over time, the HomeKit um, hubs, you know, like Apple TV or whatever, are getting more and more powerful. So I'm sure at some point, they will be computationally able to support higher frame rates and higher resolutions. But that isn't the case uh, right now. And I don't really think it's super high priority anyway, because yes, if you get dedicated security cameras, you can get 4K ones. But for what you really use them for, the 1080p resolution is fine and it like does the job so i, I can under, i can understand if you're out there and you really want a 4k camera that it would be a nice feature request but i doubt it's something on the top of apple's like to-do list on term, in far, as far as home kit's concerned because there's way more things that are more important where in the home kit space than the, the max resolution of the home kit secure video cameras for a completely free service or at least you know bundled with icloud you know no ongoing subscription or anything separately uh, you can't really complain. HomeKit Secure Video works incredibly reliably, and I get to check when I'm out and about if someone's at the door and I you know, just want to see who they are. So I basically use the outdoor camera in, in the lieu of having a uh, a smart doorbell. 
So I just use the, mm. I just, they, you mm -hmm. know, there's a normal doorbell. You can knock on the door and I just check in uh, via the camera. 4K support for HomeKit secure video feels like something that'll eventually be paywalled in one way or another. Like, you know, how is it Apple One Premiere is the, or how do they differentiate the number of HomeKit secure video cameras you can have? It's like, is it like the two terabyte iCloud plan gets you unlimited and like the lower tiers only get you a five one I and think. three? Yeah, you get like yeah. three, five and unlimited. Yeah, because in fairness, the, the the storage of the video does not contribute to your iCloud storage, but it's only retained for about a month. So it's a trade-off or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's right. If they do eventually add 4K, they'll probably make it a higher tier option because yeah. that's, that's modern Apple for you. But I think right now it's just a limitation of computation or at yeah. least they just didn't bother encoding it into the standard when they knew there was going to be lower power accessories in, in this system. Yeah, my experience with HomeKit Secure Video has been also very good i have the two of the logitech circle view cameras then one i think it's made by you anchor or eufy it's like 35 dollars. it's like an indoor cam i have that and it worked it's like the best performing camera i have and it was literally 35 dollars. and it syncs with home get secure video so you don't have to use the eufy app kind of amazing that it's so cheap and also works so good but it's literally just like a camera on a stand it doesn't move it doesn't turn yeah yeah none, none of the, i don't think home hits your video supports panning and tilting i don't think so yeah none of the ones i know do it like you yeah, can get yeah. cameras that support home kits your video and support pan and tilt but it, you can't pan and tilt inside the home app yeah so that's just not like a supported thing yeah speaking of cameras did you see the the apparent glitch in the matrix mayo yeah, uh, this is an interesting story. Just it was weird. Kind of want to explain yeah. what happened. Yeah. So there was a woman, uh, Tessa Coates is her name. She posted on Instagram a picture of herself in like a bridal shop, like trying on wedding dresses. And the the picture is taken from like behind her. So you see her body in the foreground. You see her reflection in one mirror and you see her reflection in another mirror on the side. And the so-called like glitch in the matrix is because her body in the foreground she has her arm down to her side and the other arm across her stomach the reflection in the mirror directly in front of her her arms are crossed in front of her stomach and the mirror on the side her reflection her arms are both down at her side so it's one picture one person and she's doing three different like poses in the same image this was a mystery as soon as it went on instagram and everybody was dissecting it she swore that it wasn't a panoramic picture. She swore that it wasn't some sort of live photo glitch. And she said it and wasn't it Photoshopped, right? It wasn't Photoshopped, yeah. Because that was my theory, to be honest, was I didn't think I, of the actual solution. Um, when I saw it, I was like, it's just a funny viral thing. Someone's, they've just edited it and just said they haven't, you know? <laughs> which, I mean, which happens all the not time. an unreasonable <laughs> assumption, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it turns out, so... Uh, Farouk, who runs the iPhone Do channel on YouTube, great he posted channel. an explanation. Yeah, great channel. He posted an explanation of what he is pretty sure happened here. He took the image from Tessa Coates and looked at the metadata and basically found that the picture was taken with the iPhone 12's main camera, which takes images with a 4,500 by 3,800 resolution, roughly. But her photo is... It's 3,000 by 3,900, and that's not possible unless you're taking a photo in the panorama mode. But obviously, Tessa said that she didn't take the photo in the panorama mode. And in the Photos app, generally, when you take something using the panorama setting, it puts like a special icon on the picture, and there was no icon on this picture. But basically, what is going on here is that it, the picture was taken in panorama mode, but it was, how, how would you explain? It's kind of like a failed panorama almost. Yeah, like it so wasn't like, wide enough you're not to reach using the resolution the threshold. of the panorama, right? Right. So you've basically like clicked on panorama, clicked the shutter, and then clicked off panorama. Which exactly. you can do because you can stop a panorama early, right? You don't have to go the full width and have the super, super wide images. But the Photos app will only give it the panorama label and put it in the panorama album if it is wider than it is tall or whatever by some percentage. And right, this is basically, yeah close to the normal resolution of a normal photo but using the panorama algorithm which is doing stitching of probably just one frame which is then resulting in what you see in the photo 
And this is super easy to recreate. Like a lot of people, when we covered it, they were like, oh, I've done this a million times with my friends. You know, like we take a panorama and one person moves from one side to the other to the other as the camera's panning. So there's six of this same person in the panorama. Like it's a common, it's a common like meme format for panoramas. But in Tessa's defense, she did say she obviously wasn't the one taking the picture. It was a friend because she was the one in the picture. So she didn't really know what was going on. And it's an honest mistake to make. Like, it's pretty easy to swipe around the camera app and end up on a screen that you didn't intend to be on. Yeah. And like, you know, if you're if you're on the panorama mode and you try and recreate this, if you just do it like by putting your hand up and moving your fingers around, most of the time you can see the seam, right? Like it you can see the split yeah. between the middle mm-hmm. photo. In this example, just chances of pun chances, the the merge line is like imperceptible. So that's why it was like if you didn't know the resolution, like if you didn't do the resolution analysis, you can't really look at the picture and see a, a see a point of it blending two photos together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And there were some people who like were saying, well, "This is like the um, the i the the iPhones doing the Google thing with best take, where it's just merging different frames together oh, yeah. of like yeah. you know, you, using some like smart HDR." I'm like, no, no, smart HD, smart smart HDR does take seven frames, but they're within like a tenth of a second of each other. Uh, mm-hmm. This thing is a quirk of the panorama system. It just so happened with the millions upon billions of photos that get taken on iPhone every single day, this one turned out almost imperceptibly great. And so it you know, it was posted unknowingly. Uh, it's just a funny just a funny outcome. But yeah, I was just I looked at this and I just thought, oh, someone's just doing the fake Photoshop thing. But no, this is using the iPhone panorama and they basically just accidentally lucked out and it came out incredibly well. So this Mayo made me think of the blue and black or white and gold dress Mm -hmm. saga from a few years ago obviously the dress is black and blue right yes i have to remember them more yeah but yeah i saw it black and blue yeah okay good just making sure you seem like the type of person who would have said white and gold but (laughs) i love i love black i love black devices (laughs) (laughs) even if it's not black that's what i'm saying (laughs) they should do that apple should do that with one of the just take a photo of the space gray uh, MacBook Pro and be like, is yeah. this silver or space gray or sp- silver or black, you know? Because like, quite often you really can't tell the Midnight difference. Midnight or space black, yeah. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality pre-portioned ingredients to your door with easy-to-follow recipe instructions so you can make delicious meals easily. Sign up now at HelloFresh.com slash happy hour free and use promo code happy hour free to get free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. Say hello to a stressless holiday season with HelloFresh. Save time and hassle by skipping the grocery store with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. And you can save money too. Getting HelloFresh delivered is cheaper than getting takeout. And with pre-portioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. Choose from over 45 weekly recipes that suit your lifestyle, and there's more than 100 seasonal add-on items to choose from every week. So it's easier than ever to find something everyone will enjoy to eat. And HelloFresh does more than just delicious dinners. You can get easy breakfasts, quick 10-minute lunches, and satisfying snacks delivered along with your weekly box. Now, Chance, I know HelloFresh sent you some recipes to try for yourself, so how did you find it? They sent me a stir-fry, a pasta, and spicy chicken sandwiches. I think the thing about HelloFresh is that it's variety. It's different variety every time you get it. Because, you know, everybody who is who's trying to make an effort to cook at home, cook things, it's easy to get stuck in like a rut where you're eating the same three, four, or five things every week. HelloFresh, at least for me and my wife, really solves that problem because it's a different variety of meals every single time you get it. This time around, I do have to say the the chicken stir fry was just top notch. The sauce was incredible. I've said before the sauces the sauces are always one of the best things about a HelloFresh meal. And yeah, the variety combined with the sauces, combined with the recipes, and getting everything in the same box, you really can't beat it. So go to HelloFresh.com slash happy hour free and use promo code happy hour free for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash happy hour free with code happy hour free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring the show. The iOS 17.2 release candidate has arrived. 
So we've talked quite a bit about what's new in iOS 17 so far, but the release notes revealed a couple of more interesting things that we hadn't noticed. Something I thought was particularly interesting is apparently with iOS 17.2, the telephoto camera on the iPhone 15 Pro and iPhone 15 Pro Max, it can now it's now faster at focusing on faraway objects. I have been running the iOS 17.2 beta on my iPhone 15 Pro Max and I haven't noticed anything. But this is a weird like this is a weird thing to be mentioned in the release notes if it's not if it's not like noticeably better. You know what I mean? This is the kind of thing that shows up after there's been like a gate about it, you know? Like, right, exactly. Yeah. But improved telephoto camera focusing speed while far away is not something that I've seen reported in places. I still see people complain about telephoto focusing when you're up close because yeah, the main camera yeah, lens is, is not very good at that <laughs> ever since they upgraded the 48 megapixel sensor, but this does not address that at all. And it's weird that it's the 15 Pro and 15 Pro Max since they have different telephoto cameras now. Mm. My first thought that it was exclusive to the 15 Pro Max, just like some quirk they found in the new the new camera. Yeah. No, it's both of them. Maybe somebody who is a lot smarter than us will test it and tell us whether it's actually noticeably different or not, because I can't tell. Yeah, this has to be something that got reported to them after release and they diagnosed it as an issue in the firmware. But yeah, it's, it's passed over us. Like, so good, I guess, if you're if you're the person taking <laughs> far away photos with the telephoto camera that zooms in. Uh, There's somebody out there who is over the moon right now. Exactly. It's exactly. not us. In the messages app, either... So this appear does this appear only in group messages or any thread? I think any thread, yeah. Any thread. If you open the thread and there's a lot of messages like farther up that you haven't read, you tap on it and it takes you back up to the start of the last unread message. Is you, that you get a right. arrow button thing? Yeah. yeah. This was in seventeen beta during the summer, and then it was taken out of the release and to come back later this year. And now the release notes confirm that it is actually shipping now in this release. Um, so basically, if you have a conversation, like if me and Chance have an iMessage conversation, then I go to bed and Chance sends me like 10 messages after uh, while I'm asleep and then in the morning I wake up, I can click on Chance and it will take me to the bottom by default. But now there's just that one button you can press and it will just zoom you back up to the last place you were you were in in the conversation. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it works in theory. And obviously, if you have group chats, it's more relevant because there's more conversation yeah. going back and forth because a, a lot of you know one-on-one chats are just you say one thing, then the other person replies, right? So there's less of a history but if if you do get into a situation like when one person's sleeping or whatever uh the the icon will appear uh, i have seen some weirdness with this like sometimes it just appears when it feels like i've already seen the messages but i'm wondering if that's because i'm reading the messages on my mac which i haven't updated right and so it's not tracking the status properly uh but overall it does it is quite handy and especially on like a group thread that's busy uh if you do go away for a few hours because i leave most of my like group chats just on mute the whole time and then you just check in unless you get like a mention um so in those cases if you do actually want to catch up now there's just an easy way to zoom back up there rather than to like scroll 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 scroll, scroll and find it manually so it's a nice little addition then there's some changes to siri in particular with health stuff so this Apple announced did apple announce this as part of ios 17 or was it at the event in september they announced it with the watch only and it also applies to iphone correct too. yeah so this was announced as a hardware feature of apple watch series 9 and ultra 2 because siri on those watch models um run does the interpretation of your command locally on device in most mm-hmm. cases they said well because now we have this extra privacy um on the watch uh, siri we can also handle health requests like how many steps have you done today log my steps log my weight you know log my period if you're a woman or whatever like all these kind of requests that and i i've done this before like for years i've asked my watch like how many steps have i done today because it's kind of annoying to like open the watch click on the activity app or the fitness app or whatever scroll down you know find the tiny little line where it says how many steps you've done like it's a multi-step process and it'd be way easier if you could just like talk to your watch and it tells you and up to now they haven't supported it ostensibly for privacy reasons but now they do. And so at the event, it was it was basically promoted as a watch-only feature. Like They only spoke about it in the context of watchOS on the new watches. But it turns out that it also applies to the iPhone too because the iPhone's been handling Siri on device for many, many years. And so you know their reasoning 
wouldn't really apply to just watches only. Uh, they just didn't mention it in the event, but it does actually turn out to be the case that you can uh, you can ask all the same kind of health requests now to Siri using your voice on the iPhone or an Apple Watch if you have the most recent watches, and it will tell you about stats. You can ask it, you know, about different categories information, and you can also log directly on there too. So if you want to log your weight, um, you can just say, you know, log my weight of 70 kilos or whatever, and it will just add it to your health database. It's a pretty nice integration. Then there's also apparently Qi 2 charging support is coming to the iPhone 13 and iPhone 14. So the iPhone 15 was announced as having Qi 2 support. And Qi 2 is basically, it's obviously the follow-up to the initial Qi wireless charging standard. But it's kind of just generic MagSafe, if that makes sense. It's an upgrade to Qi that brings magnets to the chargers and also unlocks 15-watt wireless charging which was previously, at least for iPhone users, exclusive to only MagSafe certified chargers. So the iPhone 15 was announced as having Qi 2 support. Then Apple now says as part of iOS 17.2, Qi 2 support is also coming to the iPhone 13 and iPhone 14. And the Wireless Power Consortium says that Qi 2 accessories will be available, they say, before the holiday season, which is <laughs> now quickly running out of time yep. to meet that deadline. But this... <laughs> The Qi 2 like, saga has been a little bit drawn out and annoying to follow, but I think now that we're like hitting supposedly the first accessories and the first phones with support for it, it's going to be a good thing. So basically, the advantage is if you are the kind of person that doesn't want to splash out for the official MagSafe accessories because right. they're overpriced, you would buy, go on like Amazon or whatever and buy the Anker magnetic Qi chargers, right, which are like a tenner. Uh, which I have a couple of, but they didn't officially support the MagSafe standard, so they'd only charge wirelessly at 7.5 watts. Um, mm -hmm. But now, Anchor will presumably be able to release the same lower-priced chargers, but support the Qi 2 standard, and they will wirelessly charge at 15 watts, which matches the Apple MagSafe puck that you obviously can buy from first party. And obviously, you get the other benefits of there being magnets in the chargers, too, like better alignment between your phone and the charger, and better efficiency well, well what i'm saying you can buy magnetic chi chargers today right oh yeah no i yeah so does the chi 2 standard also mean that it matches the like the t layout of the magnets in the back of the phone i guess it's supposed to okay yeah. that's okay i didn't Apple, realize that okay that's nice i just thought it was about like the magnets allow it to do the 15 watt but i guess it also means that the magnet like i'm pretty is the same as the phone one you know what i mean like because the, the magsafe yeah, accessories no. have like they have the ring of magnets and then they also have a straight line which adds like additional strength yeah yeah now i'm actually not sure i know that apple was i know chi 2 was basically developed on top of magsafe apple was involved with the development but maybe it's not a s requirement to get certified certification to have the full t ring of magnets i'm not sure now yeah i don't know i was working on the assumption that chi 2 classification meant that you had it such that you'd be able to charge at 15 watts i.e get the highest speed i don't know if you like have to have because like some of the iphone like some of the iphone max accessories don't have the t part of the of the magnets mm -hmm. right? only the higher ones that really require and bondage like you know like the car chargers right like they have the t layout for additional um sturdiness but like the basic magsafe apple charger doesn't it just has a ring i guess so the, yeah. i assume the chi 2 charge standard just basically requires you to have the ring so you get 15 watts uh but that makes sense but yeah. then if you have happened to have an accessory that has the extra magnets in a straight line too you get the extra sturdiness with the iphone and um, by the way it's a nice improvement because i don't buy the apple magsafe charges they're way too expensive uh, I wish I wish they do this for the Apple Watch because Apple also loves yeah. to charge you an arm and a leg for the Apple Watch puck chargers, uh, and it's really hard to find any third parties for those. It's cool too. I mean, it's I don't know why it's not coming to the iPhone 12, but it's cool that it's coming to the 13 and the 14, even though it was initially billed as like an iPhone 15 feature. Little rare instance of some backwards compatibility there. Very nice. Then there's also TVOS 17.2 RC. Mayo, the major redesign changes to the Apple TV platform continue. Do you want to tell us about this one? Yeah, so this is this was rumored, right, in Mark Gurman's original reporting when he said the TV app was getting revamped. He at the same time said that the iTunes Movies and TV Shows app will be discontinued and end of life. And the first few betas of TVS 
uh, the apps were there unchanged. Uh, it was just the TV app that was getting changes. But in the final release candidate, the movies and TV show apps have indeed been discontinued because if you now try, they, they still exist on your home screen. But if you now try and open them, it basically just comes up with a message saying that iTunes movies and your purchases have moved and there's a button that takes you to the same, the equivalent place in the TV app instead. Uh, so what's kind of funny is that although on iOS you can delete system apps, right? You can long press on them and then press the little X and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Apple TV doesn't actually let you do that. So <laughs> now, on the, at least on the release candidate, the iTunes movie TV show apps do nothing but direct you to the TV app, but you can't actually delete the icons, so you just have to yeah. stuff them in a folder. Um, <laughs> I do know, though, that on Apple TV um, operating system, Apple does have a way to like hide um, apps remotely. So maybe after like a month or so, uh, 17.2 mm-hmm. being out, they'll just flip the backend switch and the icons will disappear. Because there was actually a bug at one time where the backend server was like messing around and not working properly and people would launch their Apple TV and it would only have the settings app and every other icon would be hidden <laughs> because it was like glitching with the you know the backend response. Yeah. Uh, and that, that feature's in there because in some countries they like add um, as by default the channel apps from that country, like BBC iPlayer like comes pre-installed. Mm. So like it's related mm-hmm. to that system. Um, but basically that's what I think will happen here is that you'll you'll update, they'll give it a few weeks and then they'll flick the switch and then the movies and TV shops will physically disappear from your home screen layout on Apple TV. Uh, this change is probably going to be somewhat controversial to... I mean, a lot of people have never used the iTunes movies and TV show apps already. They just either don't buy stuff from the iTunes store or they just moved immediately to the TV app. But there is some unique features that were in the iTunes movies and TV show apps that don't exist in the TV app and haven't been ported in the 17.2 beta either. So they added a couple of things, like they added um, box set support and they added some more genre filtering in TV app itself in the store tab, right, or the purchase sections. But the other features in the in the dedicated iTunes apps haven't been ported over, like the wish list functionality or like user ratings and reviews. So the TV app only mm. shows a Rotten Tomato score, but on the iTunes store apps, you could like, you know, you yourself give it a rating out of five and also leave a comment and you could then obviously see those comments from others. But that feature has been like dropped on the floor and they seem to have no interest in bringing that back. Which wish list is kind... I guess you could say it's kind of substituted by the Up Next queue on the TV app, but the Up Next queue is like deficient and limited in its utility. So you kind of do want more options there. But I guess if you asked Apple directly, they'd be like, just use up next now if you have wishlist items, but it's not a great solution. And then the other thing I know I've heard that people are annoyed about is the TV app shows um thumbnails for all content in landscape, right? It's like 16 by 9 landscape images. Mm-hmm. But if you're an aficionado, you want the theatrical movie posters, which uh, are portrait images, yeah. which the iTunes mm-hmm. movie app did show you. Um and the TV app does not. So you just have to suck it up because you only get landscape TV shows and movies are all represented by landscape tiles with landscape imagery in the TV app. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a bit of a fuss about this, but I think 95% of people have moved on to just like streaming service in general. I don't think there's loads of people buying and renting stuff anymore. And if they do, they're not going to be too bothered about it. But if if you're a person who's bought like hundreds and hundreds of films on iTunes before, right? Now your only way to get to them will be through the TV app, which is not feature parity to what you used to use. So it'll upset some people. I don't really care about it. In fact, if I had my way, I'd get rid of the store tab completely out of the TV app, but that's a separate that's a separate <laughs> discussion. Um, the uh, You don't buy stuff from iTunes, right? I actually did rent two movies a couple weeks ago before okay. a flight. I was in the airport and I was trying to find a way to watch one of the movies, Columbus, and the other one, Breaking Away. And I was looking around, and I was like, I think it's on Hulu, and then it wasn't, and I think it's on Peacock, and it wasn't downloading right or something. So I just went I went to the TV app and found it and paid $3.99 to rent both of them. So, And I guess you well. didn't care I mean, about the fact that they didn't have any reviews inside no. the application. And you didn't don't care, care about what the, the size of the poster. poster like. yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I tapped the $3.99 button, and they downloaded They also downloaded quickly. I was surprised. On airport Wi-Fi, nonetheless. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, some people still use it. So yeah, and then interestingly, there's another change in TV 17.2 that I'd noticed this in the first betas, but the functionality hadn't been like fully built out, so it was kind of in a weird in-between state. But basically, as of the release candidate, now if you click on them, so before the on the Apple TV remote, you have the microphone button, right, which you hold down, you mm-hmm. talk to Siri over. Um, but now you can click it 
So if you're on the home screen and you just click it once, it it comes up with basically a spotlight search field. And so then you can search for whatever you want. And then it, it's basically like a shortcut into the search app that has existed on the Apple TV for a long time. But rather than having to like dig in and find the app and then do it, now you can just tap it once and it comes up with a search field and then you can dictate your request and it goes and it goes off and does it. And that also works inside the TV and the music app. So if you're in the music app just browsing your library and then you suddenly want to search for something, now you can just click the uh, microphone button once and speak your request and it will do the search inside of music and the same for mm. TV. Uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, you could, like, if you're on the home screen, you could, like, do search through Siri, but if you want it, like, you don't, you only see, like, five results and stuff. So this gives you another option to actually see what you're looking for. And it's especially useful, I think, if you are inside those apps. If you're inside TV, you probably just want to search inside TV. So now you just give it one click and it basically is a shortcut to the search experience. So it's a pretty nice improvement that just kind of slipped under the radar. You know, one thing about renting movies that I had forgotten about until last week? Once you hit play, you only have 24 hours to finish it. 48 hours. Do you remember that? 48 hours. Sorry, 48 hours. But I'd completely forgotten about that. I was on my flight and I finished the first movie I'd rented. So I was like, oh, I'll start the second one. And then it it gives you that pop-up where it's like as soon as you hit play, the 48 hours starts counting down. And I was like, well, I don't have enough time on this flight to finish the movie. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to have time when I get home. (laughs) So. It's still sitting there. I haven't hit play yet. I've got an, what another like twenty one days. Yeah, to then finish you do like a month to start playing. Yeah, it, and then you're forty hours. I mean, that is what a rental is. So, you go to if you went to Blockbuster and you watched a movie, they didn't start counting down twenty four hours from the second that's you fair, put the DVD. That's fair. That's true. Oh, well, it's a very odd limitation. Yeah, I guess that's just a weird thing with the licensing of the studios or whatever. Um, and then what? What? Sorry, one final thing on the iTunes Store mm-hmm. situation. The apps are discontinued on Apple TV, but at least on the current iOS builds, you can still use the oh, iTunes yeah. Store app on the phone or on the iPad and get to movies and TV shows, the tabs, and still buy stuff that way. So I assume at some point those will also die off, but at least right now they remain. And I think in the iOS 17.2 code, we found a bunch of references specifically for iPhone and iPad about that change. So it's definitely they're definitely working on it. I do wonder if on the iPhone they're also considering to do the same thing but for music, right? Because you can still buy songs through the iTunes Store app on the iPhone. And uh, yeah. why not just like let you do that inside music app, right? And then you That's just, what the music app needs is more stuff. Well, I, I know, but like if you're following the logic <laughs> of what they've done for TV, like it's a bit weird that music yeah. continue on being a standalone thing. Because right now in the iTunes Store app, you can do movies, TV shows, music... And then ringtones. So if they do take out movies and TV shows, the Ocean Store will just have music purchasing and then ringtones, right? Who cares about ringtones? So kind of feels a bit redundant. Uh, I don't think they're going to get rid of the Ocean Store altogether because there's still a contingent of people that do buy it. But feels like they could simplify and just shove it in the music app somewhere as a second class citizen, but albeit. We are also sponsored this week by Pillow. Pillow is the best sleep tracker app for your Apple Watch, iPhone, or iPad to help you uncover the scientifically proven benefits of good sleep. Go to pillow.app and use promo code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription to Pillow Premium. Sleep better with Pillow, your smart sleep assistant. Pillow analyzes your sleep cycles automatically using your Apple Watch, or if you don't have a watch, you can place your iPhone or iPad on the mattress near your pillow. Pillow will automatically detect and analyze your sleep patterns, and you can review last night's sleep report right on your watch with heart rate analysis and more. Pillow uses an advanced sleep cycle analysis algorithm based on the latest scientific findings in sleep research. You can view detailed heart rate graphs and a sleep stage diagram that shows you how you're transitioning from being awake to REM, light sleep, and deep sleep stages. And Pillow integrates with the Apple Health app to update your sleep metrics in the health database as well. You can even use Pillow as a smart alarm clock that aims to wake you up at a time when you're in the lightest possible sleep stage so you can start your day fresh and relaxed. Record noises of the night so you can hear things like snoring, sleep apnea, and sleep talking. Simply put, Pillow is the best sleep tracker for your Apple Watch, iPhone, and iPad. And exclusively for Happy Hour listeners, you can use offer code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription of Pillow Premium. That's promo code HAPPYHOUR23. Find out more at pillow.app. That's pillow.app. Pillow, sleeping better, made simple. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. All right, the action button, currently only on the iPhone 15 Pro and iPhone 15 Pro Max. 
reportedly coming to the entire iPhone 16 lineup. So that's iPhone 16, iPhone 16 Plus, and the Pro, and the Pro Max. That part makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not exactly an expensive component, is it? It's, <laughs> it's a button. It's probably, it's probably like at, when you think of like the volumes of scale argument, to put everybody on the action button and stop making the mute switch, probably like a financial win for Apple. Like that part makes a lot of sense. And just on like, if you compare a raw physical button to a mute switch... I kind of imagine a button is cheaper for them to make as well than yeah, the yeah. switches. The switch seems more intricate. I mean, it's only pennies or whatever, but yeah, this this seems very likely. And if they ever do make another iPhone SE, I'd also expect that to have the action button as well. But the weird part of this report, apparently the action button on the 16 series will be like a capacitive solid state button. So this was the saga that never ended ahead of the iPhone 15 about Apple switching the volume buttons and the power button and the action button to capacitive solid state buttons. Never materialized, was reportedly like scrapped at the last minute. Guess it's still something Apple's working on and may or may not happen with the iPhone 16. This rumor from MacRumors seems to think it will. There's benefits to switching to this design of a solid state button. What Mac Rumors says is that it'll be have a force sensor built in so it can detect changes in pressure. What would that unlock? You mean different you could assign different things to the action button based on how hard you're pressing it? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean maybe you could do like press harder to do something more quickly. I don't know, it's kind of a weird It's kind it's of like weird... that. It's more like you remember when the rumors about the volume buttons being capacitive? Because then yeah. you can imagine you like push harder and it like goes up quicker, just like how 3D Touch yeah. used to do back in the day. For the action button specifically, it's hard to see the value in it. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like maybe you get better haptic feedback and also you yeah. get the improvements to water resistance, right? Because just less holes, uh, less physical holes. And maybe but, it's better at detecting like unwanted presses and stuff too. Maybe, maybe. Which is kind of a problem. Because right now, the solution to that is you like the action button is you have to press and hold to trigger the action but maybe with a force sensor you could just press harder press harder yeah to be fair to... that's kind of our 3d t- that's like kind of equivalent to 3d touch yeah. right where if you just you could just mm-hmm. press hard and you wouldn't have to wait so yeah i guess that's actually that's actually a good point yeah because right now you have to press and hold for a, what a second or so half a second it's yeah it's a long mm-hmm. thing but if you could just press with a lot of force and it could just immediately do it that would remove some of that friction so that's probably what they're going for here but I don't have 100% um, faith in this coming to pass because there were so many rumors no. about it in the iPhone 15 cycle and then it got abandoned. Um, so, And it also seems like something that might be quite expensive. So if it does happen, you think it happened on like the Pro models only, which I believe was the rumor for the iPhone 15 that it was going to be Pro model exclusive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, obviously the um, the button is right, but uh, that part of the reason why is because it was expensive component to capacitive and at the last minute they had to change that to just a standard physical button so i imagine if this did happen next year it'd be pro and pro max only and then are they only going to change the action button and the other buttons are still physical like yeah because the, uh, the original rumors were like all the buttons were going to be capacitive and then at least there's more there's more weight to the water resistance argument or the reliability argument right because less moving parts is always better but if they're only going to do it for one button, then it kind of sticks out as even weirder. I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a weird situation. They obviously are interested in doing it. They did clearly spend a long time last year working on it. The supplier, like Sirius Logic, I think is their company's name, mm-hmm. they basically said yeah. that they had to ditch. You know, they they took a loss on their quarterly earnings because the the order didn't come through, and they have kind of hinted that the order might return next year. Right, so. I'm sure they hope so. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they hope so. Uh, But clearly Apple will happily ditch them again at the last minute if they really really can't get it done. So, But yeah, I'm not like on the edge of my seat waiting for the buttons to go capacitive. But if they do, I guess it would be kind of cool for a little while and then it would kind of blend into nothingness. But it probably also helps save internal space because a physical button naturally takes up more space than a button that doesn't move which is always a benefit for apple's internal layouts and stuff but uh it'll be a minor change if they do do it and that's where it becomes the value for the cost right that's why that's why you start to question if they would do it on the cheaper models immediately because it's quite an expensive thing to do you would imagine for not a huge amount of gain i wonder if apple's plans at all be affected by like this narrative that people aren't using the action button as much as 
maybe they thought they would. Then there's also the rumor that Apple's planning, like, remember the capture button rumor? Mm-hmm. The button that's going to go on the other side of the phone under, like, the power button. I don't know. All, none of this really makes a whole lot of sense. And I feel so burned by the capacitive button rumors last year that I, my, I'm operating under the assumption that nothing's going to change. Like, we're going to have the action button on the Pro models, maybe the action button in its current form on the non-Pro models, and nothing else. That, that, that feels pretty likely to me that they're just going to put the button on the cheaper phones because why not unify the lineup? But the capacitive, switching to capacitive is more murky and I wouldn't bet on that right now. But maybe. I mean, they obviously were, they obviously were interested in it for a long time, the iPhone 15, so I doubt they've given up on it, but there's no guarantee that it will be ready for the very next generation straight afterwards. Yeah. So Beeper, you know, we talked a few weeks ago, we obviously talked about RCS coming to the iPhone sometime next year. And in that same conversation, we talked about Nothing Chat, which is which was, I think it's been scrapped now, it was Nothing Phone's like app for bringing iMessage to Android using a platform called Sunbird. Well, now there's a new app on the block called Beeper Mini. And basically, it's Beeper in collaboration with like, it's like a 16-year-old high school kid has figured out how to reverse engineer iMessage and it kind of just brings what feels like an Apple-designed iMessage app to Android. But done properly, yeah. Done because properly, yeah. The, the, the way the nothing thing worked is they would host a Mac Mini or you know a, a server file of Mac Minis, and you would give them your Apple ID, username, and password, and they would essentially just log into your account on the Mac Mini and then you open the Messages app, and when it saw a, t- a bubble come in, it would just copy and paste the content and then send it back to your phone, which destroys all of the privacy implications you're basically just giving someone a, a permanently unlocked laptop with your apple id yeah. and password that they can also do who knows what with to access your entire account as well as all your messages right so clearly that was a flawed and terrible idea and nobody should have done it um the only the, that, that spawned out of a project that was at least somewhat understandable where you would run the server on your own laptop so like it would be the server and your phone would just receive the messages like relayed uh nothing took that and they just post it in server farm so with devices that you didn't even control so it took it way out of proportion um, but the the idea of an app that sits on your own mac and relays to your android phone has been around for a while and at least they're you know it's your devices talking to your devices so there's a, a bit more of a privacy wall there um, and security wall but when it was done on external servers not under your control it was like ridiculous so as rightly so that thing got shelved and probably will never see the light of day again but this beeper thing is as legit as you can make a non-Apple endorsed yeah. iMessage client because yeah. they literally take a um, software bundle from I believe uh, iOS 10.12 so like a few years older version of macOS um, and they take the bundle in there that is responsible for registering with iMessage servers and communicating back and forth and so they make your Android phone appear to be a Mac and it does all of the steps that a Mac would do to talk to iMessage of at least a five years ago or whatever and the iMessage servers still support devices that are five years old so you basically have a full iMessage client with full encryption all the encryption keys all of the you know phone number registration the lot it all works um but basically just embedding this this high school person worked out how to rip out this bundle and embed it in an android app and run the whole thing emulating what the mac how the mac would work but on an android device Uh, and it all works and you can't levy the security argument against this because it's as secure as yeah. a macbook you used to use like you have to trust that beeper is not you know secretly copying all your messages elsewhere but if you trust them right and they're doing the exactly what you say they're doing the messages won't leave your phone right because it's end-to-end encrypted this maintains end-to-end encryption the only way that it wouldn't is if like the beeper app would like separately copy all the content off elsewhere right before it got sent but yeah, you know, that's that's leaning too much on conspiracy theory situations because they wouldn't go to all this hassle if, if, if the whole point they've gone to this hassle is to give you an end-to-end encryption solution. So because they could have just yeah. as easily done what nothing did, right? And um, but they they've done the work. They've got a legit offering, and you can't really say well it undermines the security of the iMessage platform because it doesn't. Uh, it will annoy Apple because they want you to be using iMessage on their own devices, uh, but it doesn't really have a security implication. 
and it also has um, impacts on like spam. So like this uh, framework yeah. that they've developed has basically been released open source. So Beeper, the Beeper client uses it, but anybody could download the the thing and run it and basically do whatever they want and have automatic iMessage distribution. Like you could make a business where they like you know you like text them and they reply back as an iMessage not as a text message thing you could just use this thing for anything you want you could use it for ill you could use it for spamming everybody so that's where it becomes more of a hole uh where apple will probably want to clamp down on it if they didn't want to clamp down on beeper specifically which obviously some in the company would especially if you believe the you know arguments about it in iMessage uh leading to more iphone sales compared to people buying android devices uh so what are they going to do about it i think yeah Probably at some point they will be able to crack down on this because they'll be able to recognize, like, even if they won't be able to distinguish requests coming from Beeper and requests coming from, like, a five-year-old laptop, Mac laptop, if they just banned five-year-old Mac laptops from communicating an iMessage, they could fix this today, I believe. And they would just stop the iMessage network from working with devices that are, like, five years old or so. And it's not devices that are five years old either. It's just devices running. Running, yeah, the older operating system. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they can probably clamp down on it, I believe. Uh, Beeper seems to think that that won't be possible or that there's enough devices running the older operating systems out in the world that it would be um, too annoying for Apple's customer base to be able to cut it off in that way. And they might be right. Uh, yeah. It's not It's not clear right now. Um, and they certainly did the engineering work to get this up in the first place, which nobody thought was really possible. So, you know, all the, all the kudos goes to them on that. But clearly... Regardless of what timeline you think this is going to be, this is a cat and mouse race, right? Because at some point, Apple will be able to block mm-hmm. it. Uh, even if they said, right, from now, we're going to st- we're going to change the iMessage spec going forward so that f- the software updates change it going forward, then it knocks it off. Like Even if they can't tomorrow flick a switch and cut it off, at some point, they'll be able to cut it off because they're the platform owner. But the, the kind of like... It, the, the perverse incentives that lead to an app like Beeper existing... Uh, kind of get nullified when RCS support gets added, right? Because the whole demand kind of gets to find a way unless you care about the fact that the bubbles are blue and not green, I guess. The point where I feel like Beeper Mini kind of might fall down and fall victim to some sort of action from Apple is the fact that they're charging for it. $2, is it $2 a month, I think? I'm imagining Apple's lawyers can come up with a pretty compelling legal argument about charging for basically access to iMessage which is its own platform yeah and the bundle um is basically ripped out of the operating system so there's probably like copyright on on yeah. the, the code bundle so if they can't uh, if they can't break it technically they can probably just sue them uh but so far they haven't done anything but it's only been a few days so we tried this on i have a pixel 7a and i sent you some iMessages from using beeper mini from my pixel 7a to you and I think we were both pretty impressed with how well it works. I mean, it's everything. It's full quality images. It's tap backs. It's typing indicators. Read receipts didn't seem to work super well, like a little inconsistent. But other than that, you wouldn't have known that I was messaging you from an Android phone. No, no clue whatsoever. Uh, so while it while it exists, I like the nothing the nothing solution. I was like actively telling people not to use this. I would have no yeah. problems in in doing it. If you have an Android device out there and you want to be on the iMessage network, go ahead and use this app for as long as it exists. I don't know if it exists forever, <laughs> but at least right yeah. now, like it's great. Yeah. And I'd used I think it's called Air Message before. It runs like locally on. I was running it locally on my Mac Studio, and it was sort of like a bare minimum implementation of iMessage, like. You wouldn't see, like, group messages basically didn't work, whereas group messages work perfectly with Beeper. It was messy. It worked as, like, a bare minimum solution, but Beeper Mini is just, the fact that it works is impressive. Yeah, I feel like even Apple, even Craig Federighi is sitting there and is like, this is pretty impressive. Like, we need to hire this 16-year-old kid. (laughs) Yeah, it is really impressive. And the Beeper, like, company, the reason it's called Beeper Mini is that right now all it does is iMessage, right? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But eventually they want to make, like, a, a super app of messaging so you'd have like your text your whatsapp your messaging like all these different co- threads of conversation inside of one application kind of like the old days of like instant messaging right where you can have all those different services inside of your like irc client or whatever inside of your um aim client yeah um which is a great goal and clearly they've got the technical chops probably to pull it off based on what they've done for iMessage here uh but 
I do think the platform, the respective platform owners will crack down on it at some point. So the long-term viability of the business, uh, I wouldn't be investing in, I guess, is one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, really cool they managed to pull it off. And for as long as it exists, uh, go out and use it. Yeah, it's very cool. They even say that on their roadmap, FaceTime is coming soon. I'm guessing they can pull that off in a similar way they've done yeah, this. Yeah, the FaceTime behind the scenes works similar to iMessage in terms of device registration, activation, like, so... They just have to figure out the video protocol, I guess, and then they can then they can deliver on what Steve Jobs promised back in 2010 that FaceTime yeah. will be an open standard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They but say yeah. 15 chat networks in total. So it's just hilarious that this came out like one month after the nothing thing, which they yeah <laughs> nothing claim is res- is the reason why uh, Apple adopted RCS two days later. Yeah. But it was like a solution that was like so ridiculous. It was absolutely you know it's literally gone now. They don't offer it anymore. This is legit. This is the real thing. So don't like if you see a headline about this and you're like, well, it sounds like the nothing thing. It's it's really not. This is the real deal. It's literally acting and working just like a Macwood from five years ago or whatever. Um. Mm. So yeah, can't can't critique. Ten out of ten. Finally this week, Happy Hour is sponsored by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet after spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews? You find the perfect tool for the job. I did this to find a new lawnmower and it's amazing. Five star reviews. You can get it shipped in 48 hours. It's glorious. But how come you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in two days but... If you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment. And how do you know if they're even good in the first place? Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones that take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I had needed this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg has some details on the new iPad Pro, iPad Air, and MacBook Air. So Gurman says that the iPad Pro and iPad Air are currently on track to launch around the end of March. The iPad Pro that he describes is OLED and roughly 11-inch and 13-inch screen sizes. So the thing I think all of us were kind of hoping for is a form factor redesign of some sort. And that's something Bloomberg reported a while back, but it sounds like that might not be in the cards anymore because the current iPad pro design is from 2018 and it's a very good design, but the rumors were that the 2024 model would be the first to kind of change that. Am I, how are you interpreting this Mayo? Do you? Yeah. I mean, maybe Mark just isn't hundred percent sure. Or we'll have another story in a few weeks or something that says it more plainly uh but he definitely hedging right by just mentioning yeah. the screen and nothing else and uh, 13 inches is 0.1 inches bigger than 12.9 inches obviously which is the current ipad pro there's your redesign the chassis completely new well, the bezels could be like they could do something there, yeah like the bezels could be like 0.1 inches thinner or something yeah and to make up for it i was kind of like the ipad is probably like the apple product that doesn't need a redesign because of just what it is right it's literally just like a yeah. screen it doesn't even have like a notch or a just or a display cutout for face site for dynamic island or anything right it's you know it's uniform all the way around the bezel is pretty small and there's like nothing on the back so like it's not begging for a redesign and the ipad pro still looks modern and new and fresh and the oled display update is mm. pretty significant on its own but I do think it'd be nice if they gave it like a little design refresh, maybe with like two ports instead of one, like, you know, still have USB-C, but also have like a, a magnetic charging 
like some sort of MagSafe charger yeah. so you could charge and then also use an accessory without having like, you know, Dongle City, Dongle Town, um, something <laughs> like that. I mean, for a while it was rumored that they were going to like redesign it with like, a glass back and it, you could do like wireless charging, like Qi charging and like all these crazy things. Um, but just, it, it probably needs a little, a little something, something, you know, um, for a, a five years on from the 2018 update. But I guess if it just came out loaded screens, it wouldn't be like too out of line with the last few iPad updates we've had. Like they're pretty small, right? And you obviously have the new chip. You get the, the OLED update screen would obviously look a lot nicer. Um, and I guess people would still complain that they, they want two ports. But there's nothing like sticking out about like the iPad design where you're like, yeah, it really needs to be changed. Because it's like, you know, what is there to complain about really? It's a slab of glass with a massive screen on one side. like, And the screen is uniform. There's no, there's no indents, there's no cutouts, so it's it's hard to nitpick too much. Uh, it's different to the phone where, like, you know, they can keep making the phone flat edges and rounded edges for as long as they want, but everybody would be like, at some point, you got to redesign it to get rid of the dynamic island cutout, right? Uh, the iPad mm-hmm. doesn't have that pressing concern. The 11 inch iPad Pro is kind of going to be like the star of the show this time around because it doesn't even have the mini LED mm, screen that the 12.9 inch has, yep. so. For anybody who's been holding out for an 11-inch iPad Pro, because what the mini LED came to the 12.9 inch in 2021. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think. Yeah. So people with people who prefer the 11-inch form factor have been waiting a long time for something. And don't worry, if the iPad hardware itself is unchanged, you'll be able to get that new magic keyboard made of metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which will he says literally just aluminum? Is that what? Yep. Yeah, we talked about this. It's the base that's going to be aluminum, probably kind of yeah, like a bridge keyboard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The outside will still be the fabricy texture. There's a reason people loved bridge keyboards while they were in business. Like people like that MacBook style form factor, and a lot of people don't like the form factor of the Magic Keyboard now. I think he's also said the trackpad would be slightly bigger, which would be that would be a more noticeable change, I think, than than just about anything they could do because it's pretty small right now yeah i'm presuming they're gonna add the function key row like what the 10th generation Hopefully. ipad got yeah because uh, otherwise that'd be stupid if they didn't do that and does he does he say the time frame is it all march uh, all these products march time frame he says ipad pro and ipad air are being developed alongside ipad os 17.4 which he expects in march in march yeah okay then the he also says a new M3 MacBook Air 13-inch and 15-inch. He says those are being developed alongside macOS 14.3, which that's likely to be released between the end of January and February. But then he says the hardware might not ship until March. So, okay, so March, he seems yeah. to think March. For yeah, everything. I think before now, I was kind of imagining the MacBook Air would be like a June kind of WWC kind of update. So yeah, me too. M- March is a bit sooner than that, especially because they're also going to be shipping the... Vision Pro around that time, right? So they have Macs, iPads, yeah. and the Vision Pro release in short order. You know, March, April is going to be very busy in terms of Apple hardware. I mean, yeah, March event is shaping up to be to be something. I don't know, yeah. expensive. I guess is the right <laughs> word. <laughs> expensive for you. Let's put it that way. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. It, he does say too that the iPad Air refresh will include a 12.9 inch model, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, the main thing here is just surprising that all of that's. Um, scheduled yeah, for March exactly. rather than like summer. Yeah, but I guess the iPads, some of the iPads were delayed from this year, possibly. So it kind of rolls around, um, and that's just how it's how the ducks come into a row. And finally, a couple of Apple TV pieces of news this week. The Wall Street Journal reports that Apple and Paramount are in talks to do a streaming bundle of Apple TV Plus and Paramount Plus. This sounds interesting. Right now, TV Plus is, what, $10 a month, mm-hmm. and Paramount Plus is $12, $12 a month? Yeah, their they're ad-free tier is 12 They have an ad-supported tier, which is about 7 so. so a bundle of Apple TV Plus and Paramount Plus for, like, $16, $17? That, that's a compelling option. Yeah, the price isn't mentioned in the story, so we don't know how much cheaper it would actually be. I feel like Apple TV Plus and Paramount Plus are, like, the the awkward stepchildren kind of of the streaming industry right now they're so not the top them. tier in terms of yeah popularity exactly is a fair way to put it 
like they have actually like it depends you know the wall street journal framed it as like early talks or whatever so it might not come come to pass or at least discussing it um we've seen other services do bundling recently like the verizon thing launched a um netflix and uh hbo bundle for what ten dollars a month that supported so which is like the first time that netflix has been on a discounted on a, a bundled plan and stuff so other companies are doing this as well uh the apple situation it depends like how it's framed really because like you know some people they see like oh they're bundling apple tv and paramount together so they think immediately well i'll only pay for paramount and then i'll get both or like the apple tv plus content will yeah. appear in the paramount app or vice versa and like it's not really guaranteed to play out that way. I mean, before all this, before Paramount was Paramount, when they were back called uh, Vi- Viacom CBS, like that was the parent company, Apple actually did a bundle of Showtime and CBS All Access, which was 50% yeah. off if you had Apple TV Plus, and that was offered through Apple TV channels, right? Through the Apple TV app already. So maybe this is just going to be a repeat of that, where it's like, you know, you're in the TV app and you're a TV Plus subscriber, and it will just present to you Paramount Plus channel at a reduced rate and then that's quote unquote what the bundle is uh if it's that it's even less impactful right because like mm-hmm. it it depends on the avenue of where you see it because in a way i feel like you kind of want like like from apple's perspective if you want to make it make sense for apple tv plus you kind of want it to be the inverse where like you go into the paramount app and it advertises to apple tv plus at a discount you know like it's right yeah it, the the balance of power there is pretty evenly split so just if 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 you only do it where you open the TV app and you have to hit Apple TV Plus and it offers you a discount on Paramount Plus, it doesn't really benefit Apple that much. Like it reduces churn and stuff, but like if you're just trying to get more total subscribers to TV Plus, you kind of need the marketing to also come from the other side of the equation. Uh, kind of more like what Verizon is doing, right? Where like they're they're promoting media bundles and then you get both services together. So maybe what happens here is like Apple TV Plus and Paramount Plus agree to a bundle price that they then go and distribute through a carrier or something. Like there's a lot right. of uh, open space here before we, you know, before something fully comes to fruition in a tangible way. Uh, but at least it shows that Apple's, you know, they're serious about this thing. Like you know, they're not just like bobbing along with it. They're like trying to find ways to be more aggressive and expand their market share and partnering with paramount is a decent way to start but yeah it depends on how it's implemented in terms of how much impact it actually makes in in the real world um because it would be great if you could just like you know open the paramount app and there's like apple tv plus content in there but i don't yeah. think that's how this is going to go down i think it's gonna be more like a co-marketing arrangement i don't think apple's gonna let you watch apple content in anybody's app other than its own well that's so not true of- because in France, you can hmm. watch it in the Canal Plus app, for instance. That's true. And That's if true. you're on an airline, the American Airlines flights or whatever, they have Apple TV Plus on the entertainment service. So they have, they have you know, pollinated other places in, in some ways. Um, I mean, that'd be, cra- that'd be a big deal if, like, they were suddenly agreed to just let Paramount have Apple TV Plus as, like, a tile inside of it. Yeah. Uh, that'd be pretty wild. But I wouldn't necessarily put it past them, but I wouldn't say it's a guarantee, right? This basically sounded like very early stage talks about maybe working together on something um maybe it's just another offering in the verizon bundle you know like for a ten dollars you can get tv plus and paramount together or something um but yeah just an interesting little data point that we'll keep tracking until it becomes more um fully formed and then secondly killers of the flower moon is on the tv app this week asterisk 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 mm, so sort of sort of yeah so kids of flower moon is obviously their first big budget film they took to theaters first with a wide release it made about 150 million dollars in box office not bad for the kind of film it is you know three hour historical epic kind of situation um but the film cost 250 million around that level so they're not going to make all their money back just from box office especially when you remember that the box office tickets get shared with the cinema so they take a big chunk of that too um, obviously, a lot of the appeal for Apple for buying this film was, you know, Apple TV Plus um, awareness and buzz and subscriptions to that. But they've kind of um, compromised that slightly because they have opted to put. So they've had the theatrical window, right? That's ended as of this week. And so I was expecting that after the 45 days in theaters, it was then going straight to Apple TV Plus, right? That would be what makes sense. So just before Christmas, here you have their big film on the service. Well, actually, what's happened is. It's up for premium video on demand, which means you can buy or rent it from Apple TV or from Amazon Prime Video, or basically anywhere that you can buy um, video on demand content. Uh, and it's the standard like premium VOD pricing. So it's like $25 if you want to buy it or like $20 if you want to rent it. Um, oh. 
and the so that's like the same as any other film right that comes straight out of cinemas yeah. that's like the and over time the price goes down uh, and they haven't even mentioned when it's coming to TV Plus they still say it's coming to TV Plus later but for an unknown amount of time if you want to watch it you have to pay completely separately which is kind of weird like I wasn't necessarily surprised that they were going to offer it for um, rental and purchasing but I didn't I kind of expected that would happen simultaneously to the TV Plus streaming yeah, day too. like because uh, they're gonna I'm pretty sure this is gonna get physical release as well in January February time frame um, so you can buy it on disc or whatever which would also be if it's if it's offered in 4K that would also be a first for TV Plus because the films before have not come out on disc in 4K versions uh, but this is like they're, they're doing this like a, a classic film right this is almost like literally a studio release yeah it's 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 had a window in theaters now it's got a window on buy and rent and then it will have a streaming window at some point it's just the streaming window is guaranteed to be apple tv plus uh this also so yeah i don't know like the the theatrical part made perfect sense to me marketing awareness make some money back right then it would lead straight into a big splashy launch on streaming but now you've got this bit in between. So some people are just going to buy on Amazon or whatever if they have Prime and then not, never bother about TV Plus at all. And then other people will torrent it because once it goes up for buying and rent and digital, it also, you know, it's all on all the pirating sites now. Um, and then some other people will be turned off because the TV app still promotes it as an Apple TV Plus title. But right now when you click on it, it says, do you want to buy or rent it? It's like, come on. Like people that literally aren't aware of the of the situation here, there's nothing when you click on that tile now to go to the Killers of Family page that even indicates that it's going to be free at some point. So like I've seen plenty of people on like Twitter and stuff complaining. They're like, I pay for TV Plus and they still want me to pay £16 to rent this film. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, but no, because if you wait a bit longer, but we don't know exactly how long it will be uh, free for you to stream. Uh, so I don't, it's kind of a mess like I feel like they should have at least announced the Apple TV Plus streaming date at the same time that it went on premium video demand I'll be interested to see whether this is this exact strategy is repeated for Napoleon or whether this is a mm-hmm. kind of byproduct of the contract to get Killers of Flower Moon in the first place because like this is a bit inside baseball but Killers of Flower Moon was originally at Paramount and then they ditched it and Apple basically bought it off Paramount and said Paramount you can do the, the traditional theatrical um, to keep like Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio happy and then we'll have it on streaming but like Napoleon was ne- originally when Napoleon was ordered by Apple it wasn't it didn't involve any studio and that was when it was originally ordered it didn't have um, theatrical requirements in the contract or anything that just came about with Apple's changing strategy to you know to take stuff to theaters so we'll see whether Napoleon also has premium video demand window because that part of the strategy makes less sense to me um, but as it is because of flower moon you can now watch at home if you pay a lot for it uh and if you want to stream it with your subscription that went up in price recently uh well maybe it'll be on there sometime we don't know when i was kind of hoping it would be for christmas but if they've if they've only put out yeah. for buying rent right now this week it kind of feels like they'll give like those people like a month clear right so maybe it'll be a january film on on tv plus i don't know well you have 30 days to watch it once you rent it so that's <laughs> <laughs> As I learned, and I won't watch it. But I'm not. I, I'm not paying to rent it at twenty twenty dollars, right? Like, I'll yeah. Wait. So when it's streaming, I'll watch it. But right now, I just feel kind of what, what am I subscribing for? I don't know. Like, it's just a weird. It's a weird middle middle step that I wasn't expecting to take. I saw you doing the Apple TV support job on Twitter this week, responding to the people complaining about it. It's a good way your... to get feedback and get what people are going on about, right? Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think I, I like jokingly tweeted it out as like, you know, the TV app is confusing reason number 730 because <laughs> there's always another there's always another thing to put on the pile. All right. I think that does it for this week. You can find us in Apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating and a review and find an ad free version of the show for $50 a $50 a month. $50 a month? For $5. Inflation's high. <laughs> $5. Wow. And if you pay us, we'll even give you a copy of Killers of the Flower Moon. So. <laughs> no. $5 a month or $50 a year. You can send us feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? B-Z-A-Mayo, all the same places. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.